we're going to be uh we're going to be continuing our study and really closing out this conversation uh, about this interaction between the uh the samaritan woman at the well and uh and so we'll finish that we'll be in john chapter four and if you don't have a bible there should be a bible somewhere nearby in the pew in front of you and we'll be on page 985 and uh, if for some reason you don't have a bible then be sure to take that bible with you it's yours we want everybody to have a copy of god's word and uh, so before we dive in let me just uh let me just talk about really what was one of the highlights of our year last year and so um, you know, D groups, which are discipleship groups, a big part of who we are, and uh, just, you know, big part because, you know, we believe that discipleship is important because God says it's important, and so that's one of the avenues through which we disciple people, and we just seeing God do so many amazing things, and just the spiritual development uh, of people through discipleship groups, and last year we really started uh, down this path of doing D group uh, leader meetings. So if you're leading a group, if you plan on leading a group in the coming year, or maybe you're, you're unsure, you're just interested, let me just say, one of the things that God did through those meetings is He just he, he helped develop us as leaders as well. And uh, it was such a blessing to be able to just uh, see how God's working in your groups, uh, to see you encouraged, to see you challenged, and uh, we're excited about the coming year. And so we'll be having those meetings on December 3rd. That will take place. That meeting will take place during first service. And if you have a, your listening guide, uh, or actually your worship guide, uh, those dates are on the back. But the first Sunday in December, that will take place during first service. And then December 10th, we'll meet during second service. And so if you're thinking about or you're interested in really <clears throat> just the spiritual development in, in other people's lives, and you're really wanting to uh, launch out and lead a group next year, then you're going to need to be at one of those two meetings. So we're excited about all that God has in store, uh, has in store through our D groups this coming year. Okay, so uh, as we begin our conversation this morning, I want to just, you know, one of the things that we talked about at the marriage retreat last week was how God, one of God's greatest tools in our sanctification is marriage. It's marriage. And so maybe you've been on this end of the equation where you ask your spouse, where do you want to eat for dinner? So you're going out to eat for dinner. Or maybe it's just a friend or whatever. So you ask your spouse, where do you want to eat for dinner? And they say, I don't care. I literally, I don't care. Wherever you want, wherever you want. And so, you know, sometimes when we talk about this, uh, one of God's greatest tools for sanctification, sometimes I'm like, let me assist God in his sanctification of my wife. And so let's see if she really does not care. And so I know where my wife, I know my wife well. We've been married for 29 years. And so I know where she does not like to eat. And so there have been times where I'm like, okay, well, McDonald's it is. And she's like, no, I don't, no, we're not eating at McDonald's. I'm like, well, I thought you didn't care. I thought it was wherever I wanted to eat. Okay, that's fine. Taco Bell. You know, and so like I can go, I can go through a list. I know of all these places and, and things that she's not going to, to want to, to do. And so she, she says, I don't care, whatever you want. But in reality, she really does care on some level, as long as I pick from the things in the places that she likes to, likes to eat. Or maybe you've had your spouse come in and she, or they, not she, they say, hey, what looks better? Which men? Just a little help. They both look great, but this one looks better. I'm just trying to help you out. 
Okay, and so you're like, this one looks better. I like this one better. And then she walks out and she's wearing the other one. And, and, and you're going, why did you even ask me? Why, why are we even having a conversation about this? And so, but we know on a, on a different level, we know what it's like for somebody to come to us and they want to know our opinion on something. They want to get advice. And then we give them advice and, and maybe even it's biblical advice. We're like, okay, well, this is what Scripture is clear about, and this is what you should do. And then they don't do it. And you're like, well, why did you even come to me? Why did, why did you even ask? Because what happens oftentimes is we ask these questions, or people will come to us, and, and we already have in mind what we want to do or what we're going to do. We just want somebody to affirm what we want to, what we want to do. You know what we're talking about? And, and sometimes it can be super frustrating when you're trying to pour into and invest in people and they're like, they're not interested. They just want us to, well, here's what I think. I think that for many Christians, this is how we treat the will of God. That, that this is how we treat the will of God. We say that we want God's will. We declare that whatever it is, whatever it is that you want, God, what, what do you want? That's what I want. And, and then, but when God says something that goes against our, our desire, we, we just, we back up from that and we're like, well, we just continue to try to find out God's will until it lines up with what we want. And we oftentimes try to conform God's will to, to our will and, or what's most comfortable to us. And then we go our own way and we find ourselves, if we're honest, we, we find ourselves unfulfilled. We find ourselves unsatisfied. Okay, so let's, let's frame things in this morning as we begin this conversation. True satisfaction in life comes from yielding totally to God's will in God's service. That's, that's where true satisfaction, we're going to dive deeper into this statement as we move along through our conversation today. We know, as we've been looking at the, the, the woman at the well, the Samaritan woman, we know that Jesus addresses her greatest need. And he uses water to illustrate that. And he's saying, hey, we're all thirsty. We, we are dying of thirst. And we're trying to quench this thirst with all these different things. And he's saying, that thirst can only be quenched in me. And so he's saying that, that Jesus is the ultimate. He, he's the only place that we can find satisfaction. He's the end. So then when we enter into a relationship with him, He's, he's going he's gonna to show us this morning that it's really about surrendering to God's will. That is for his children and his followers that we're to follow after him and walk in obedience. As he, as he shows us his will, we're to, we're to do it. And here's what God's will consists of. There's this willingness to do it before we even know what it is. That's what he wants for us. And it's like, okay, well, we're, we're offering our, up ourselves and saying, hey, we're going to follow because the truth is, is, if you're a Christian here this morning, you didn't have any clue where you would be today when you surrendered your life to Christ. But we're offering up our lives and saying, you gave your life for me. I'm offering up my life to you to, to use however you, see, however you see fit. But we've all found ourselves in places where, if we're honest, we're trying to, we're trying to get God's will to conform to, to ours. And Jesus is going to help us this morning. He's going to put things in perspective for us. And so... Remember last week that, uh, and if you weren't here, you can go back online and you can listen to the message. But remember last week that Jesus declares, the, the woman at the well, she's like, hey, we know that the Messiah is coming. And then Jesus says, you know what? 
you're right. It's me. And then if you pick up in verse 27, chapter 4, verse 27, so he, she says the Messiah's come, and he says, it's me. Just then his disciples came back. They marveled that he was talking with a woman, but no one said, what do you seek or why are you talking with her? So the woman left her water jar and went away into town and said to the people, come and see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? They went out of the town and were coming to him. So you get the picture as to what's going on. He declares he's the Christ. She drops everything and takes off into town. And she's going to tell him that this is the Christ. This is the one. He's told me everything that, that, we've, that she had ever done. And so they hear what she says, and then they go to come. They're coming to see for themselves what this woman is, is declaring. And so you get the picture as to, to what's going on here. Okay, we pick up our text now. Verse 31. Meanwhile, so this is happening as, as this happens. As she takes off, as people are coming. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging him, saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you do not know about. So the disciples said to one another, has anyone brought him something to eat? And so they're confused. And they take Jesus literally here. Um, and, and again, this, there's this misunderstanding of physical uh, with the spiritual. And so we've seen this. I mean, it's really been this common thread as we've looked through uh, John chapter 3 and chapter 4. I know Matt went back and talked about Nicodemus last, last week. And so, you know, Jesus tells Nicodemus, hey, you must be born again. And Nicodemus is going, well, how's that work? Like, am I going to go back into my mother's womb? We're going to try this again? I don't, I don't think she's going to appreciate that. You know, so like there's this, this whole conversation. And then he's having a conversation with the woman at the well. And he's having this conversation about living water. And she's like, you're going to need a bucket. He says, I have living water. And she's like, you don't even have a bucket. And the, the well's deep. So how do you plan on getting this, this living water? And now what's taking place is he's trying to have a conversation about spiritual food. And the disciples are like, did somebody sneak him a Snickers? Like, what is he? Does Jesus, is he holding out on us? Like, he sent us off to get food, and he's really got some saved back for himself, and he's been eating this whole time. And, and so they're trying to figure out, but they're focused on the, the, the physical instead of, instead of the physical. Uh, instead of the spiritual. And so the disciples, they were, they were surprised by a couple of things. Number one, they're surprised by the fact that he's talking to this woman. And number two, they're surprised that he's not interested in the food that he sent them out to get. So they're, they're surprised. They're surprised. But what Jesus is doing here is he's moving the disciples to this next level understanding. He's about to, he's about to lay it all out that this is his mission in life that this is jesus's mission and not only is it jesus's mission but it's their mission and not only is it their mission but it's our mission okay and so he's he's about to take us to the a next level understanding verse 34 jesus said to them my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Charles Spurgeon calls this a golden sentence. He says this is a golden sentence. I mean, there's there's so much packed into this one sentence, in this one statement 
that Jesus made. That, that in these words found in this sentence really is the keynote of Jesus' entire life and mission on earth. That everything is packed into this. And what it's telling us is, is that above all else, Jesus lived to do God's will. Above everything else that Jesus lived to do God's will. And doing God's will gave him complete and total satisfaction. Here, here's what I want you to understand. His life was ordered by this objective. Everything he did was governed by this. Stop and think about it. His steps were ordered by it. Not for a moment did Jesus Christ ever lose sight of this goal. No matter where he went, who he was having a conversation with, he filtered everything through this. Knowing the Father, doing the Father's will, accomplishing the work that the Father had given him to do. Everything went through this. Everything. Every single encounter. Every encounter that we see in Scripture. The encounter that he had with the Samaritan woman. Uh, yeah, sure. There was, there was a, a physical act taking place. There, was, there, was, there were jars being filled with water. But no, there was something greater. There was a, Jesus was on mission, and it wasn't to, to get water. There was a different mission. The, the, the encounter that he's having now with the, with the disciples. That there's nothing haphazard about what Jesus is doing. Like it, the, He always has the same goal, and he's always on mission always and it's primarily above everything else is to glorify god as he does what the father wills and he's in submission and surrender to that think about everything you read through the the gospels and you start looking at every encounter that he has with nothing is haphazard nothing is wasted there's never an idle word when it comes to christ never that it's he's always on mission and it's primarily this one mission and so when he's having a conversation with the woman at the well. Is he, does he have compassion for her? Is he concerned about her? Is he having a conversation with her because of that? Yes, but not primarily. The primary reason for that conversation is doing the Father's will. The same thing when the, the conversation with the disciples that he's having right now, every conversation, the cross, when he endured the cross, did he endure that? Was he concerned about us? Did he have compassion for us as he entered into the cross and gave up his life? Yes, but that was not his primary focus and his primary mission. His primary focus was to, to submit and surrender to the will of God. We were not first on his mind. He was first on his mind. Okay? And so that drove everything that Jesus did. Everything. He was always on mission to the Father. And so when we get to John chapter 17, as his life on earth is coming to an end, and, and Jesus begins to pray this high priestly prayer, this is, this is what he says. He says, I've glorified you on earth, having completed the work that you gave me to do. If this is the driving force of Jesus' life and mission, if it's really about submission and surrender to the Father and obedience to Him, shouldn't it be ours? I'm talking about the driving force, the, the, the goal that stays before us at all times. And if we're honest, I, just, I spent a lot of time thinking about this. If we're honest, we don't think about the will of God like this. We often think about the will of God like a mystery. We, we think the will of God is like some mysterious thing. And so we want to know God's will in our lives, in this area over here. 
Jesus is saying it's the driving force of everything, but we oftentimes want to know, well, what's God's will for my life over here? You know, should, should I, where, does God want me to have this job? Or, you know, I spent a lot of years in student ministry, and so as students got to their senior year, it's always like, well, what is God's will for my, my life? Where does God want me to go to school? What, what career path does he want? What, we want to know where. God, and it's this mysterious thing, and we just want to know what God's will is. And the truth is, is I think this is, I think God is less concerned with where and more concerned with what? With what we do where we are. And so we want to know, is this, is this job God's will for my life? I mean, I, I don't know. I mean, there are certain jobs that would not be good for you or your family that may take you, um, pull you away from your family or pull you out of fellowship within this family. And so, but most of the time, those three things don't, con- they're, they're, not, they're not at conflict. And what I think God's more concerned about is not whether or not you take that job, but what you're doing for him in your current job. He's concerned about what kind of coworker you are. And so for, for a student that graduates and like trying to figure out where to go to college, and there's a lot of things that factor into this, but it's like, hey, what I want for you is to shine my light on your campus. And guess what? You're still in high school. So why are you worried about where you're going to college right now when you should be shining your light for me in this situation? And so we get so caught up in this mysterious thing trying to figure this out. And God's concerned with what we're, what we're doing, what we're doing where we are and what we're going to do when we get to wherever it is we go next. And the truth is, is that, that we have hundreds upon hundreds of clear-cut commands in scripture when it comes to the will of god we, we we like to think of this mysterious thing but the truth is is if we just open the bible and we just started reading through this morning we could spend all day and, and we could talk about how god says to love our enemies is that god's will we can talk about how he says um, to be slow to speak and quick to listen and slow to anger it, we can talk about how he says to forgive as we've been forgiven we can talk about how he says that we're called to tame our tongue we can talk about i mean we can just continue going on i mean they're clear-cut commands that we see in scripture that they are god's will how about this one make disciples of all nations right make disciples of all nations and so but what we if we can if we can make it this thing this mysterious thing and this is what it's about then then we can what happens is is then we oftentimes come to this place where we can then go our own path and do our own thing and prefer our own will. Or if we come in contact with those, those clear commands, then maybe we half-heartedly follow those commands. And so we find ourselves busy pursuing our own dreams, building our own kingdoms, filling our own schedules with our own agendas, And Jesus says, it's about doing his will. And so we can do those things all the while searching for this this mysterious will of God. And for Jesus, it was the driving force of every single thing that he did. And it's where he got his satisfaction. But, all right, now that we got our teeth kicked in, we're not alone. 
because Jesus is having to have this conversation with the disciples here. And what this story illustrates is, is really just this missed opportunity. Th- think about this. That Jesus, that, that the disciples come up and they clearly saw Jesus talking to this woman. And you know what their first thought is? Not concern or compassion for this woman who was created in the image of God for the glory of God. Their concern is, is why is Jesus talking to her? Why is he talking to this Samaritan, Samaritan woman? And so they're more concerned about that. And they're more concerned about, about Jesus eating the food. Like, we went and got you food. Why aren't you? Well, they had completed the task. They had been given an errand to do, and, and they did it. But Jesus watched these disciples. See, she dropped her jar, and she ran off to go tell people about Christ. They watched the men walk past her. Jesus watched them walk past her. He, he saw that happen. She, Jesus came to Samaria for this woman. They were completely oblivious. Completely oblivious. They just passed by her. And Jesus was on mission. Jesus was on mission. And so they had completed the task. They had, they had gone and gotten the food. Now we needed to eat, but they, they missed her. And Jesus, once again, wants to teach them the priority of spiritual things over physical. They had missed one opportunity. And look, he doesn't chastise them. He doesn't beat them over the head. He begins to teach them so that they won't miss the next opportunity. So they won't miss the next opportunity. I mean, think about this. As she goes to tell the people, in verse 30, it says, they went out from the town and were coming to him. So she goes and tells the people they're on their way back. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging him. So then Jesus has this conversation. The woman's gone out. She's telling the people, they're, they're coming. They're coming. And so Jesus is saying, hey, I don't want you to miss what's coming. I don't want you to miss. So you miss this opportunity, but I don't want you to miss the next one. So in verse 35, do you not say there are yet four months, then comes the harvest. Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. Already the one who reaps is receiving the wages and gathering fruit for eternal life so that the sower, so that sower and reaper may rejoice together. For here the saying holds true, one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap that for which you did not labor. Others have labored and you have entered into their labor. You know, every time this conversation of sowing and reaping comes up, I always think, well, we're just really not very agricultural. We, we, you know, that like we don't, that's not the world in which we live. It would have been, for them, it would have been very illustrative for them. And sometimes we miss this. And so here, here's what I thought about the best way for us to understand that this morning. We all love those you picket farms, right? Where we show up, we pay some money, the, somebody else has tilled the soil. Somebody else has, has planted the seed. Somebody else has done all the hard work. They've worked the land. All we got to do is go show up and pick it off the vine, and we go home with food. Now, for months, things have been taking place in order for that to, for that to happen, and we love that. And so we'll go pick our strawberries, and we'll go pick our blueberries, and we'll go pick our tomatoes and whatever, squash. And we, we'll go do all those things. And so we like to show up. When the harvest is ripe for picking, when everything's been, when everything's been done. And so what, what happens here is, is Jesus is saying, it's like God has been at work preparing. There have been people that have gone before you and they've done the hard work. But the Messiah is here now. 
And people are thirsty. People are thirsty. And people are going to come and they're going to want to to hear and to know and to come and to see what are you going to do? What are you going to do? And if we obey Christ and do His will, I, I I think this is important for us. This will be helpful for us and instructive because I, I want to address something. If we obey Christ and do His, His will, there's, there's no guarantee that we're going to see the fruit from that. that there's no guarantee. That, because there's a group of people who did, and they didn't see the harvest. And sometimes, if we're honest, we can get discouraged in that. I mean, it's wonderful. Let me just say, like, when we do get to see the fruit of our hard work, when we pour into and invest in, and like, we, it, there's, there's a blessing that comes with that. Here's what I was thinking about this week. You know what would never work? See, we'll pay money for the you pick it. You know what would never work? Us paying money for the you plant it farm. Where we show up, we pay money to till the soil. To, to plant the seed, to work the land, and then somebody else gets to come months later and they get to pick the harvest, and we get nothing. Like, uh, who's paying for that? Who's, who's saying, yeah, that sounds like a great idea. I'm going to open a you plant it farm. The people will come in droves. Everybody's going to show up to plant. No, we show up to pick. We like, to, we like to reap the harvest. We don't necessarily like to, to do the hard work and the labor on the, on the front end. We want to experience the harvest. But here's something important for us to understand from what Jesus is saying here. He's saying that satisfaction, remember, what did he say the satisfaction is found in? Doing God's will. Not in experiencing the harvest. Again, experiencing the harvest is wonderful. When you get to see God do spiritual things in the lives of others, there's great blessing in that. But we can't get caught doing it for that purpose. Because what happens when we don't get to see the harvest? Well, then we leave discouraged because we're focused on the wrong thing. I mean, there have been times in my life where, um, and I guess early on, especially in ministry, like I had to wrestle with this. It's like I, I spend so much time investing in people only to see some walk away and leave. And, and, and you can get extremely discouraged in that. I mean, Jeff and Tish will probably amen that loud and proud. But that's not why we do what we do. Jesus isn't saying you don't do this to reap the harvest. You do this to love and serve the Father. And so when we do what God's called us to do, it doesn't matter if we see any fruit. Because we've been obedient to the Father. I mean, there's times where I've been discouraged. I'm like, is anybody even listening to me? Doesn't matter. God is listening. And we're called to be obedient to do whatever it is that God calls us to do, regardless of whether or not we see fruit. So we've got to be focused on the Father and doing His will and walking in obedience. And that is where the win is. That's the win. And if you've been walking with God for any, any period of time, and you've, you've walked in obedience in certain situations, you've done what God's calling you to do, and maybe you didn't get to see what you thought you would see, or they didn't respond the way in which you thought they would respond, or you just fill in the blank, but you knew that you were obedient to God. You know that in that moment, there was a sense of satisfaction and joy 
and fulfillment and knowing that your, your father called you to do something and you stepped out and you did it. And that's what we're called to. That's what we're called to. So what is it that this work that Jesus is talking about? What's this work? Because he's being very specific here. That he doesn't make this comment in a vacuum. That it's in context of a, of a conversation. There, it's in context of a story that's taking place. It's in context of some things that are, that are taking place. And so what is it, this work that he's, that he's talking about? What is it? Well, this isn't the only place that we see Jesus talking about uh, a harvest. In Matthew, in Matthew chapter 9, it says, When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to the disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Remember our verse where, where Jesus prays to the Father and he says, I've glorified you on earth, having accomplished all the the work that you gave me to do. You want to know what the verse says right before that? What does Jesus pray right before that? And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, in Jesus Christ whom you have sent. That they know him. That they know him. Later in this prayer, what does he say? As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. We get an idea of this work that he's talking about. He's talking about this harvest. He's talking about this mission for which he came, where satisfaction comes from. Later in John chapter 20, Jesus said to them again, this is after he had resurrected from the dead. He said to them again, peace be with you as the Father has sent me, even I am sending you. So let's dig a little bit deeper down into this whole idea of true satisfaction being in God's will, in his service. What is he really specifically saying? He's saying true satisfaction and belonging is found in knowing him and making him known. That's, that's the story of Jesus' life and mission. That's the story that he's calling us to live out in this world. This was his miss- mission and message. And here's my question. Aren't you glad that Jesus accomplished the work the Father gave for him to do? The reason why we sit here today, child of God, the reason why you are a child of God is because Jesus accomplished the work that the Father had given him to do. And so we have spiritual implications in the life that we live and the things that we do with the work that he's given to us. This should be our life's mission and message. And think about this. This is exactly what the Samaritan woman did. This is exactly what she did. And if she can do this, then so can we. Then so can we. Verse 39. Many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them. And he stayed there two days. And many more believed because of his word. They said to the woman, it is no longer because of what you said that we believe. For we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this indeed is the Savior of the world. My wife, um, she loves movies with closure. I don't know if you're one of those, but if, you know, some movies just end, and she, is, she gets ticked. 
She's like, I literally just wasted two hours of my life. And I'm like, no, not really. I mean, you can see what's, what happens here. And she's like, no, you can't see. And so if it's left open for debate, you know, if you've got to come to your own conclusion about how the story ends, she's ticked off. She's like, no. She needs it wrapped up in a tidy little package with a nice little bow on top. This is exactly what happened, all the details of the way that this story worked out. And if that's you, then you love this story. You love, as we've worked through this for the last five weeks now, you you love how this, because we come to the spiritual climax. That's what was found here. So Jesus has this conversation with the Samaritan woman. And he he has this conversation, and she, she believes in Christ, and then immediately she runs off to tell others about him. Then they came and believed for themselves and declared that Jesus Christ is the Savior of the world. The end. Like, does it, they don't always end like that when you read. You know, there are times with the rich young ruler where he walks away sorrowful because he thinks he has something better. But she realizes she didn't have anything better, and then she goes and tells other people, and then they come and see, and now they're believers, and they declare that Jesus Christ is the Savior of the world. Now, think about this, that nobody really wanted a Savior of the world in, in Jesus' in Jesus's time. Like the Jews wanted a Savior for the Jews and the Samaritans. Remember, she's asking, well, who's, you know, is it on this mountain or that mountain? The Samaritans wanted a Savior for Samaria, the, the Greeks wanted a, a savior for Greece and Roman, same thing. Like everybody was looking out for, everybody was really looking out for themselves. But what happens here is that Jesus invites the whole world into relationship with God. It's important for us to understand that. He, he invites the whole world in. He wants the whole world to know that they have a place where they can belong. Where they can belong. And so it doesn't matter where you come from. It doesn't matter. It, no, that Jesus is Savior of the world. And the invitation is for, for all. We don't have a ton of time here, but I do want to make one point that you can't, because they had to believe for themselves. They couldn't piggyback on this Samaritan woman's faith. They had to come to believe for themselves. So they came and saw, and then they said, hey, we no longer believe because of what you said. We now know. And we now believe. And so there's no secondhand salvation. There's no secondhand relationship when it comes to God. And so oftentimes, you know, especially with children that grow, grow up in the church, they want to piggyback off their parents' faith. There has to be a moment where they declare their faith for their own. And there's a moment for us too. We're not, we're not saved because we come into a place where there's saved people. We have to make a decision. We have a responsibility to believe for ourselves right? And so there's this responsibility that, that comes with that. There's no vicarious relationship, but they believe for themselves. Well, how did they come to believe? I mean, clearly God does the work, but what's the tool? What's the mechanism through which he does this? What is it? It's an unnamed Samaritan woman who showed up in the middle of the day at the well because she was so ashamed and guilt-ridden. In Romans chapter 10, it says, How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how, have, how are they to believe in him whom they have not heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? The next verse says, How beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news 
of the gospel. See, the Samaritan woman was, she was saved that day. She was saved from guilt, and she was saved from shame and bondage. She was saved for a life with Jesus, and it led her to invite others to experience the very same thing. The very same thing. I feel like as we, as we end this conversation and this interaction, I think there's some things that we can learn from the Samaritan woman and what she did with her salvation. And I think an important part of it is this, is that salvation must be shared, and it must be shared with urgency. With urgency. See, our faith should be a drop-your-water jug, run like a girl, tell everybody and anybody to come and see a man who told me all that I ever did kind of faith. Like, we got to... We got to drop our water jug and we got to we got to run into the world to tell that that's what we see here. That's what we see from the very beginning. It's this kind of faith that there is an urgency. She dropped her water jug. She came and she was just doing she was doing things that needed to be done. She was experiencing life. She, she needed to get water. And so what does she do? She goes to the well to to get water. Well, when she realized who was standing in front of her and what he had done for her, you know what she did? She realized this doesn't matter anymore. Something else matters more. Something matters more. She didn't try to carry her water jug with her. I I just started thinking this week about all the things that we try to carry that are holding us back from what Jesus is calling us to do. And I'm not going to fill in the blank for you. You can just think about that for yourself. Like, what is it? Like, well, yes, God did this thing for me. Okay, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to keep doing what I was doing before God showed me who he was, who he is. And I'm just going to continue. No, it's a drop your water jug, run like a girl kind of faith. And so we, we are to, there's this urgency that we see with her. And so oftentimes what happens is, is that, we get distracted pursuing our own will over God's. And we get preoccupied with other things. And not bad things. Was the water jug bad? She needed water or she wouldn't have been there. But in that moment, there was something that was more important. Something that God was calling her to do. And I don't know about you, but I want to be more like her. I don't want to, we get, just like I said, we get so distracted in our own world, building our own kingdom, we're more concerned about whether, whether it's God's will for us to move. God's saying, be the kind of neighbor that I'm calling you to be. Don't get distracted. Your mission is not about your house. Don't get caught up thinking about your mission is about your house and what kind of house you're going to have or what kind of job you're going to have or where you're going to go to school. Like Those are things. Those are avenues. Those are platforms for the most important thing. And it's what drove everything that this woman, everything that this woman did. And everything that Jesus, Jesus did. There's this urgency. 
And so maybe there's something, maybe, it's, maybe there, it is something that's not good, maybe it's something that's sin, but maybe it's lesser things. We fill our, our lives with lesser things and our schedules with lesser things, and they keep us from doing because we're so consumed with all these other things that we, we don't have time to do the most important thing. Or what happens is, is we fill our lives with all these things and we make them about us instead of making them about the mission and the goal that was set out before us. And so you can, I'm not saying you got to quit your job. I'm not saying you got to, I'm saying that your job is an avenue for the gospel. It's an avenue for us to, to tell people about what God has done in our lives. And so when we show up, we're not just collecting a paycheck. That's not what's most important. Forget about that job. Leave that behind. You're not working for a paycheck. You're working for the king. Right? So we show up on mission. We have a commander-in-chief. And he's called us to do his will. And so when we show up, it's not about making sure all the tasks get done. See, the disciples, they went and they got the food. They brought it back. It's not about the task. See, who did they get the food from? What was the conversation that they had with those people whenever they got the food? What, what was that like? Did, did they see them the way Jesus saw this woman at the well? Right? And so that's what we're, that's what we're talking about here. And I would say this too. One of the other reasons that there's no urgency is we think we have to get it. We, got, we think we have to wait until we get it all together. Well, we've got to clean ourselves up. Or we think we have to wait until we know it all, until we have all the answers. Because if I start having a conversation with somebody and they ask a question and I don't know the answer to it, then I'm going to look like a fool. Or we think we've got to clean ourselves up. It's like, okay, well, these people, you know, they know who I am or they know who I was or they know what I did last week when I stuck my foot in my mouth. Or, you know, we can make all these excuses and these reasons for not doing what God's called us to do. Well, we got to wait till we get ourselves all put together. Well, guess what? When you got yourself all put together, you're not going to be here anymore. You're going to be in heaven. And so we're a work in process along the way. And so you're never going to be perfect and you're never going to know everything. And here's, here's what this woman does. This is what she illustrates. If that's our thinking, I know there's lots of other reasons why there's no urgency, but I just thought, okay, well, let's just look at her life. And then some of the excuses that we have. So if we take all our water jugs, all the things that that we that fill our lives, these lesser things and that keep us from doing what is the most important thing, if we take that and we pile it all up here in the front of the church this morning, and then we take our well, I gotta wait till I get it all together because you know, these people know me and they know the things that I've done, they know, you know, all this. And so if you take that and you throw it in the middle of that and you're like, okay, well, I have to I have to know all the answers. I have to have all the knowledge. I have to be able to know the Bible and quote Scripture. And I got to do it. And then once I, once I get that, let's go ahead and throw that in the pile. And you know what this woman does? She takes gasoline. And I know we've been in a burn band for a long time, but she don't care. She takes gasoline. She pours it on that pile. She lights a match and tosses it on there. Because what's her story? Why is she at the well in the middle of the day? Shame and guilt. See, those people that she's running into town to tell, they know. They know. Does she have, what kind of knowledge does, I mean, Jesus just told her 
and she just, just literally, he, he says I'm the Messiah, and she runs off to go tell people about the Messiah and everything that he told her and everything that he did for her. What kind of knowledge did she have at this point? She just met Jesus. Gasoline, lighter. That's right? Man, think think about think about this. What what does she what does she share? Her story. Her story. I remember reading in a I remember reading in a book one time and uh, I was thinking about yesterday actually when I was writing out the questions on the back of your listening guide and and the question was this what if what if you were given ten thousand dollars every time you told somebody about Christ think about that and if you're going into small group where y'all discuss the sermon uh, that question is on the back of your handout. What if you were given $10,000 every single time that you told somebody about what Christ had done for you? Here's, here's what would happen. There would be a sense of urgency. Right? So many of you, you'll leave here today and you'll go to lunch. You know what you're going to be doing at lunchtime? Your waitress comes over, your server, whoever it is, they're like, okay, I'm about to tell them. I'm about to tell them. They're about to get an earful. I'm going to tell them how good God is and what he's done in my life. It, when, so while I was writing that question out, my son called me yesterday, and he called me, and, and he just has this uncanny ability to call every time I'm preparing for a sermon. But So when he called, I let him have it. I'm like, okay, well, you called. Well, you're about to get some preaching to. Plus, he's at the station today. So I'm like, well, here, you can have it early. So I asked him this question. And uh, he was calling to invite me to, uh, to a Seawolves game. Him and Sam were going to a Seawolves game Friday night, and he was saying, hey, do you and Mom want to go? And uh, I just, so I asked him this question, and he was like, wow. And then I said, you know what would happen? We, we would go to the Seawolves game, but we would be way less concerned about who wins or loses and more concerned about the people that are sitting around us looking for ways looking for ways to tell them about the goodness of God. See, when you went to work, what, what would it do? Stop and think about it. When, when you show up to work, what are you doing? You're on mission. Man, some of you are thinking, work, $10,000 a pop? I don't need to work anymore. And I'm saying, no, you do. You know why you need to go to work? Because there's people at your work. And so we go there with the, with the gospel message declaring the goodness of of God, it would become, listen to me, there would be an urgency and it would become the driving force of everything that you did everywhere you go. When you're standing in line at the, at the grocery store, when you're out to eat, when you're in your neighborhood, man, you'd be like, we're baking cookies for the neighbors. Why? Because they need to know about Jesus, right? And so everything that we did would be the driving force of what, and there would be the sense of urgency in all that we did. This woman, I mean, by the world's standards, let's just be honest. And you're thinking, well, there's nothing special about me. This, this woman, by the world's standards, I mean, anyone, anyone would have been a better messenger than her. It's not about the messenger. I, I'm not standing up here this morning because there's something special about me. It's about the message. It's about the message. We, we have a, a message of hope. And stop and think about this. 
that this was the source. Her story, what does she take to them? I tell you what you know, what you do know, you may not be able to quote scripture, but what you do know is you know your story. What did she take to the people around her? Her story. She's just telling what Jesus had done in her life. And the thing is, is that it was the thing that she was hiding from 10 minutes ago. The thing she was trying to hide, the thing thing that brought shame and guilt is now an avenue and a tool for the hope and and belonging. And you see what I'm saying? So like her story, the one thing that that brought shame now is transformed into a story of hope. And again, it's it's the thing that she was trying to hide. And it's the thing that God wanted to use to bring hope. And the same thing's true for you. Remember a couple of weeks ago, we talked about how, you know, the gospel is really, it's, it's about being confronted with the worst feeling in our life and the best feeling in our life all at the same time because God exposes these, these things. And God wants to use those things to bring a story of hope to the world around. And so like the woman at the well, I want you to understand, you have a story to tell. You have a story to tell. And I know there's people in this room, you think, Man, I don't, you know, I didn't have, I wasn't married five times. You know, I've been, I've been pretty good. I, you know, I, I do church or, you know, no. No. You have a story to tell. Colby mentioned this a few weeks ago during worship. He said, we're not just, we're not just, we weren't just bad people. We were dead people. If you're a child of God, your story is that you were dead in your sin and trespasses and he made you alive in Christ. So tell me you don't have a story. Tell somebody else. Because you have a story to tell. And they're all different. And God wants to use them to reach the the world around us. And your story can reach people that my story will never reach. But we've got to be willing to tell our story, tell the story of the the redeeming work of God. We all have a story. So here's what I want us to here's what I want us to leave with. What's her response? What is this woman's response? And what does her response mean for us? Because it it means something. What was her response to meeting Jesus? See, it doesn't end with us. It's been said that the gospel came to me on its way to someone else. That her response to meeting Jesus was to help help others to meet him. Her response to being loved by God, see, she had been looking for love over and over and over and over and over again, but she was looking in the wrong place. She finally found ultimate love. And what did she do? She helped others to experience that love. Her response to her life being changed was to help others have their lives changed. That it's not just about us. That yes, we stop and we give gratitude to God for the work that he's done in our life and the change that he's producing in us. But she helped others to have their lives changed as well. And her response to now belonging to where in the place in which she was created to belong was to help others belong. Was to help others belong. 
I remember Suzanne and I were, we were facing a, a, a big decision, and uh, we were just talking through things, and I can remember her response that stuck with me, and this has been years and years and years ago, and um, it was a scary decision, and I, I can remember her saying, after everything that he's done for us, how could we not? How could we not? Like, it's not, it's not just for us. What God does in our lives, it, it, it is it is for us, but it's also for others that we now take this message to the world around us. And so here's, here's my question for you. Now that you've traveled with Jesus through Samaria, it's been a great journey. I don't know if it has been for you, but it's been for me. Like, now that we've traveled with, with Jesus through Samaria, can you be this kind of witness? Can we be this kind of witness? And we overcomplicate things. We overcomplicate things. How did it start? It started with Jesus having a conversation with a woman who was overlooked and neglected. It, it, it started with a conversation where he was on mission. He was on mission. And then she believed. And you know what she did? She went and had a conversation. And she just started telling people what God had done in her life. And she shared her testimony. And she invited other people to come and see and to believe for themselves. And if she can, we can. We can. God wants this to be the mission of our lives. And in so doing, it's where we'll find ultimate joy and satisfaction as we, as we know him and make him known to the world around us. Let's stand and I'm going to pray. Father, First, we just want to stop and thank you for Jesus. Thank you for, for all in this room who can call you Father. God, that you made a way for even those who might not know you, you made a way through Christ for everybody here to know you. God, and that's your will, that we would know you and make you known that we would bring this hope, the hope that we now have, and that we've experienced, the love that we now have experienced, the, the change that we experience in our lives, that we would then take this to the world around, to belonging this true for us. God, that we would, we would take this story of hope that others may belong in your family to be known and loved by you. God, I pray that you give us a sense of urgency. $10,000 doesn't compare. It doesn't compare to knowing that we've walked in obedience to you. Help us to see that this morning. Help us to see that. It doesn't compare. Pray that we offer up our lives as a living sacrifice to do and be whatever you would call us to do and be. We thank you and we love you in Christ's name. Amen. We're going um, to have a time of response, but listen to me. If you, if you need to have a conversation with one of the pastors, there will be time for that.